Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Hey, God's been doing something incredible, hey, in our house uh, and just in the body in general lately. And I want to continue on this theme this morning of what the Lord's been doing. And uh, before I do, I want to share like a, just a little bit about me. Who's ever heard the saying uh, that you can take the somebody out of the something, but you can't take the something out of the somebody? You know, you fill in the blanks. Well, for me, it's the country. You can take the boy out the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Okay, because like, I don't know if you know this about me. I was not raised in Tampa. Where I was raised, there was 3,000 people and about 10,000 cows. Okay, and so I was raised, and I actually love it. There's either two people you're going to meet who are raised in a small country town. People who hate it, people who love it. I'm the, oh, I'm, I'm the second one. I'm the second one. I loved growing up in a small country town, eating deer, going hunting. Like, that's, I love it, okay? I even wore my boots today just to like, I'm going back to my roots. Jordans can go somewhere. I'm going back to my boots, back to my roots. One of the things that we do, anybody from a country town, small country town, come on, come on, y'all, amen, amen. I have a a southern accent, I try to mask it really well though, so you can't tell how hiccified I am. Uh, (laughs) My wife even, we lived in a camper for a while, that's how country we are, okay? One of the things us country folk do is we like to walk barefoot everywhere. It's the one pair of shoes you have that never go out. You never have, like, you always have one pair of shoes, your feet, okay? And like, I mean, I just grew up this way. If I'm inside the house with no shoes on and I walk outside, I ain't putting shoes on. Like, I'm gonna walk and I can't, I've probably picked thousands of sand spurs from between my toes thousands. And what happens, and haul at me if you know what I'm about to say, if you've heard this term before, what happens when you have a lifetime of doing this is you, you establish something in the spirit called jiffy feet. Anybody with me got the jiffy feet? I'm the only jiffy here. Okay. Praise God. Let me, you're like, what is jiffy feet? Maybe you didn't, you don't know what that is. It's like, I can right now, I promise you this, I can walk on gravel and not feel it. Like the bottom of my feet are like the pads of a dog, okay? It's rough. It's like 30 grit sandpaper, okay? It's not affecting me. I remember when Gio and I first got, we first became friends in 2008. He was raised in Orlando. His feet are buttery soft. Uh, Then things have had orthopedic socks on all his life. And, uh, and so we were walking outside one day and we're walking on gravel and he looks, he's like, ooh, ee, ah, ooh, or like shells at the beach or whatever. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm just walking, you know, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm not even, he says, what's going, you don't feel that? And I'm like, I don't feel nothing. Like, and it's just a lifetime of walking on rough things have caused my feet to be calloused. And so when I move out of the country and now I live here, 
if you drive by, we live like, I'm not going to tell you where we live because y'all church folks should be walking over. Where's Michael? Michael just walked up in my house the other day. It's okay though. It's okay. I have access. The people are like, you're like Hagrid living on the land. If you didn't watch Harry Potter, good, because it's demonic for sure. Um, But (laughs) the groundskeeper, just always here, always have access. But now that I don't live in the country and I live in the city, I don't really walk on gravel that much. There's very little gravel, very little sand spurs over here, but my feet are still rough. And I really feel the Lord is leading his people into a place. He's like, you don't work in the field anymore, but your feet are still rough. You live in my house now. And living in the house, like when the, when the prodigal comes back, what is one of the things he does? He puts sandals on his feet. He softens his feet. And I just feel like the Lord is wanting to soften some of the areas in our heart that have become calloused and rough and just have become, if I'm being quite honest, numb to him. Amen. Most of us have some sort of like salvation experience where you were in the world. Who, who, I got a lot of raising hands, I guess, today. Who's in the, who is in the world? Don't celebrate it. Now, come on now, you're glory days. And, um, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Some of us, you guys, like they, <laughs> some of y'all were wild. Okay, and I ain't gonna point no fingers over my wife, but like she was wild. No, I'm just playing. She'll tell you her testimony one of these days. But like some of y'all weren't just like, oh, the Lord saved me from a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You were the main heathen up in like you, you, like the devil was like, whoa, girl, like chill out. Like you were that person, right? And in some way, somehow you find yourself probably in the back of a little tiny country church and you're crying your eyes out because the guy who don't even speak that well, just something is hitting your heart most of y'all's experience, or maybe you're in the passenger seat of your friend's car and you're just crying because like something has happened. And in a moment, your eyes are opened to, yes, your sin and your depravity and your utter brokenness, but this like immense, warm, weighted blanket of love. Anybody else? Feel, I felt that when I came to the, when I came to Christ, like this just, like, and I, my shoulders were heavy, but it was a good thing. It's weird. I just felt like cuddled and warm and ten- and I was broken, but feeling good at the same time. I was happy I was broken because he was there. It was the weirdest thing. And I knew and from that point on, my life would never be the same. Maybe you've had that kind of experience. And from then on, you're following the Lord, you're doing the things and it's just, it's good, it's great, you're growing in God and over months and years or decades even, that warm, fuzzy feeling starts to kind of wax and wane. And you begin to find yourself not feeling the warm weighted blanket, but now it's more like a yoke and it's heavy, it's burdensome, it, it hurts and it's just hard to do anything now. And you're questioning your motives, you're questioning his motives. And it's like, how did I get here? I wanna propose to you, it's because your feet are still calloused and you are still walking the same as you did in the world, but now you live in the kingdom of Christ. 
we walked a certain way in the world. Amen. I, I'm not talking about a crip walk or like a, a pimp lean or something like that, but like you actually walked spiritually. <laughs> spiritually, you walked a certain way. Paul would say this. He says, you were a slave to sin. You were literally in spiritual bondage. In other places, it says you were actually dead. Now, this is real. This is actually real. You were dead, spiritually dead. You are three people in one right now. You have your body, your flesh. This is like, you know, this, this body I'm standing in right now. You have your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. This is that inner voice is in your head and, you know, your personality, things like that. And then you have this other thing, which is your spirit. And that spirit is the eternal piece of your being. That part, well, all of it, but that part in particular was a slave. It was dead. You were a dead man. And you walked a certain way as a dead man. Like if you watch the zombie movies, which I don't really like it because I'm scared of everything, but like they kind of walk a certain way. Okay, and imagine they find a cure for said zombie. This is not even in my notes. We're going the zombie route today. Imagine they find a cure for said zombie. He gets completely free from the zombiness, but he still walks like a zombie. Like, bro, you got something in your pants? Like, you just, like, you need help or something. It just doesn't look right. So many believers are walking that way in the king's house. They are walking like a dead man, yet they are not dead. They are walking like they are still a slave to sin, and yet they are no longer slaves. And so it's like a slave walking around with his chains, but yet you're completely free, but you're walking around with your hands like this. It's like, it just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. The Lord has literally plucked you from the mire, placed you in his glorious kingdom. But the problem is, is this, like I said, three in one, right? When you are saved, only one aspect of your being is completely, totally, and utterly, re utterly redeemed. That is your spirit, man. Your flesh, this flesh, this body of flesh is still corrupt. It's still, it's still able to get sick and, and it has the influences of this world and your mind, will, and emotions are still, well, they're still your mind, will, and emotions. Most of you, when you got saved, you felt this feeling that you just, you couldn't personify it, but you knew you were saved. It was like, I can't give you the words, but just something, I see the world different. That is your spirit man becoming alive in Christ. That was literally your spirit man being dead and he is now alive and he can see the world as it really is. I've even talked to people that say, colors got brighter for me. Like the world was dull. I become saved and everything was bright. But most of you, if you are honest with me and yourself, when you went home that night from that little church service, you still had an anger problem. It probably felt good for you. Probably were good, and you had all the the lovey, you know, tinglies and stuff. But you probably still fought with your wife. You definitely still get sick. This is because those two aspects of our nature are not redeemed yet. This is what theologians will call. We live in a a now, but not yet world. We live in a now, but not yet. 
Christ has come. He has paid the ultimate price for you to walk in freedom now. You have access to healing right now. You do not have to, this church actually believes in healing. We believe that God imparts supernatural healing and we've even seen it to his people right now. Right now, I can believe that God can heal anyone and everyone in this room right now. However, you are still going to get sick. It says Christ has paid for your healing. Like he is not paying. He doesn't put it on layaway and is paying Walmart a little bit, a bit, a bit. He has completely paid for it now. However, we don't have access to the full reality of that healing right now. We will one day when we live with him in paradise, but right now we are in this limbo, this tension moment where we have complete access, but yet we don't live in that place. And he has designed it that way so that lovers, that sons and daughters would commune in divine relationship with him and pull on those promises down from heaven, bring them into the earth. That's why Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, he's modeling what a life of adoption looks like. His dad, I know you have this for me. I'm gonna pluck it out of heaven and I'm gonna make it manifest in the earth. And the same way is for your mind. Your mind is not redeemed. It is still fallen, broken, wounded. Years and years and years for some of you, living in the world has done a toll on your mind. You are there are aspects of your mind that are so broken that you can't even find your way. It's like a maze you can't even find your way out of. And God's grace is so amazing. He will give unmerited grace and favor on you. That thing will kind of like subside a little bit, but still every time it comes back. This is why Paul says, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is understanding something. He's understanding that, listen, the last great battlefield for the modern day Christian is right between the ears. Is right between the ears. Yes, the enemy can choose his little fiery darts and he can shoot them at your body and cause your family and all this stuff. He can add physical attacks. Yes, he does and he can. But it's so much easier instead of trying to shoot darts at a horse to just grab the reins and begin to steer that sucker wherever you want it to go. And for so many of us, for myself included, the enemy has had the reins on my mind for too long. He has had the reins on your mind for too long. There are parts of your life that look nothing like Christ the way you respond to certain things, the way, you, the way you respond to God, the way you act, like your default, like just a quick example. I love this example. Some people just say, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so, whoever, he's got a short fuse. No, his mind is broken. God does not make short fuses. It's not kingdom. Look at in the scriptures with the descriptions of love. Or, or the fruit of the spirit. I don't see short fuse in that description. <laughs> one, of the, one of the fruits of the spirit is he gets angry kind of quickly. 
Like, it just doesn't even make sense. But we will say it because we've lived in the world for so long. It just kind of infiltrates how we think. Am I speaking to anybody? God is not satisfied with you staying the same. I love this. this, Somebody was saying this earlier. The greatest lie of our age is that Jesus accepts you as you are. Jesus does not accept you as you are. He loves you as you are, but he will not accept you to stay the same. He will not, like he is not okay for you to stay that same way living the rest of your life. And maybe just ask you, some of you who are living with immense brokenness in your heart, do you want to live the rest of your life this way? For decades and decades and decades, just living broken, the same cycles and cycles and going around the mountain, like, and, and for some of us in the room, because this is a very emotionally charged subject. Some of you are like, I understand what you're saying. I just have zero faith for that. I have no faith for that. I've tried. I've tried to do all this. I've, I've tried, but I have no faith. It's just, I, I, I am who I am and it's not going to get better. I hope that the spirit of the living Christ would speak to your heart today and say, there's hope. Like that is not your portion. In the, in the mentality of this is just who it is, this is who I am, this is how it's gonna be, is, is an orphan mindset. And an orphan mindset is what I call a stronghold. If you are not familiar with a stronghold, I can't go, I'm not gonna go all the way into the teaching right now, but basically a stronghold is this. It is a place that the enemy resides. He sits in a stronghold and he can go out from that place and do exploits. And there are strongholds that we have, that have been built up in our places of thinking. This is not even just weird Christian pseudoscience. This is actually backed up by science. Scientists have looked at brain paths and neural pathways in the brain that like cause like, so when something happens to somebody, they automatically respond that way because their brain has formed grooves. You have built strongholds. This is why every time like you are about to go to your family's house at Christmas and Thanksgiving, you start to get anxious and you start to get scared. And you're like, I just know my mom. And it's, it's a stronghold. It is something that is in your mind that every time something happens, it triggers something else. And the enemy uses these things. It's a spiritual reality that manifests itself in the physical. He uses these things to then explode and do exploits on other people. That's why people who struggle with anxiety in that way, they can, they, they'll manifest and then it'll manifest on their spouse. It'll manifest on their, on their mother when they get there and it just blows up and there's an argument every single time. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you lived it this past Thanksgiving. You had an argument because uncle Tom or uncle whoever, like always just kind of acts a fool because he has a stronghold in his mind. And every time politics gets brought up, whatever, it just blows up. It's a stronghold. Paul tells us, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. 
God wants to tear down the strongholds. You are not meant to live in bondage. You are not meant to live in Egypt. You are not meant to live in Egypt. The Egyptians were slaves for 400 years, 400 years. Moses comes and like kicks down the door of Pharaoh, the seas and the locusts and the bugs and all the stuff. And like they go out and they're hungry a little bit. And they're like, I want to go back to Egypt. Their feet are still calloused. What does God have to do? Literally, I was reading about this this morning. God literally has to take them. He takes them up to the edge of the land of Canaan. Says, hey, do you want to walk in my promises, my goodness? And that orphan mentality that I will not, it's, it's never enough. I can't do it. Like it's not going to work. It's never going to work, whatever. It caused them to not enter into his rest and so God literally takes them through the desert for 40 years. Why? So that all the people who had no faith could die in the desert. And so when they walked into the land of Canaan, Caleb and Joshua could lead the way full of faith. I believe God is going to take you through the desert and cause those dead things to stay there. Those strongholds in your, thank you, those strongholds in your mind that are there, he is going to leave those suckers in the desert. You are not meant to live with strongholds in your mind. I'm de- I, I feel like I'm literally prophesying to someone. I can feel the unbelief like raising up like walls. You are not meant to live in strongholds. You are not meant to live in bondage. And Christ has better for you. Christ has better for you. And if you have no faith, lean on mine. Thank you. Felt good to say for sure. An orphan. My wife and I, I shared a little bit about this last week. My my wife and I are on the process of adopting and um, we're just allowing the Lord to lead that process because it's a lot. But one of the things they're telling us is that it, when you adopt a child, especially if the child is older and they've been in the adoption system or whatever, foster care, it is a process to have that child love you. You would think like, and maybe you've grown up in the foster system, you would think that, you know, you wait to have a mom and a dad for so long and you come in the house and it's like, my heart's open because it's the one thing that children want, but when they have been turned down, turned down, abused, 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 wounded, wounded, wounded over and over and over again, even though they step into the thing they so desperately want, still their hearts are closed. It is up to, in that moment, the father and the mother to come in and slowly chip away at the hardness. And God wants to do that today. You need to feel Abba's embrace this morning. The, The only way to go from being an orphan to being what Paul would describe later in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption, like being adopted into being sons. And he says, if not, if you are also sons, you are also heirs of Christ. The, the bridge for that is the father's tender and loving embrace upon your heart. Something happens when a, like I was holding my son today in worship and it was just so like the Lord, I loved it. And I was, the Lord was talking to me. He says, this is how I want to hold my children today. 
lovingly and tenderly, like breaking down any barriers and walls. So many of us walk a certain way because for years we lived in the world and, and we're taught something in the world. We're taught even from a young age, especially for us guys, I'm sure it's similar for girls, but I'll speak to what I know. Us young guys, when we're, when we're like little, I mean like four, five, six, seven, and our dad is out there teaching us to throw a ball. You remember this? Your dad's outside in the yard and he's teaching you to throw a ball and you're terrible. <laughs> you're not catching the ball. You're hitting, hitting the head, hitting you in the stomach. You're like scared of it doing this the whole time. And what's dad doing? He's getting frustrated, right? He's getting frustrated. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. The Lord's working on me. Help me, God. But like, uh, he's trying, and, but he's getting frustrated and frustrated, and you're feeling his frustration. And then all of a sudden, randomly, you kind of put your hands up and you catch it. And your dad is elated. He's like so happy, like, oh my gosh, yes, good job, whatever. He, like, and then the next time, he throws it, you miss it again. And he's frustrated again. In that moment, it taught you something, whether you know it or not. It taught you that affirmation from your father comes when you do, not because of who you are. That moment is like, oh, dad was happy. I got affirmation. I received love from him because I did the right thing. Not because every other time I wasn't receiving love. It wasn't like, hey, buddy, it's okay. Try again. It was, come on, put your hands up. Put, catch the ball. This is, this is giving shivers down some of the men in here because you have wounds from your father. Pick it up. Throw it harder. And that one time we catch it, it's like all those stings get wiped away because we have the, the father's like, oh, this is what I've been wanting. Like, he loves me. It teaches you in that moment that the only time dad affirms me and thinks anything of me is when I do the right thing. It's when I do. And it's compounded. You go to school, report cards. It's doing. You get a job, your boss, raises, bonuses, like whatever, competing against other people in the company. It's doing, doing, doing. And then someday you find yourself, like we said, in the backside of that little church and you're sitting there and the father wraps his arms around you and you feel love. And you're like, yes, it's amazing. And then you, you've been walking in the system of do and do and do for so long. Now you're expected in a moment to walk in a system of being Walking in a system, not of I do to receive Abba's love, but I just be and I receive his love. And it's hard for some of us. And if I'm being honest, the Christian life makes it really easy to fall back into doing. Because you have 10 commandments. You have Jesus even going even harder and saying, hey, even if you look upon, and most of us are like, oh, I know this. I get it. I have to do the stuff and then I receive his love. And it's natural. You slip into works and you're just doing and doing and doing and doing. And you will receive praise. Because I'll be honest, as, especially as pastors, 
This is tough. Most pastors in the world today are building their churches because of father wounds. They're trying to heal father wounds and they're like, dad, am I catching the ball right yet? Am I catching the ball right yet? Am I, am I doing it right? They work themselves to death. They get divorced because their wives aren't even feeling love from them. And all the while they're trying to follow the system of doo-doo. And that's really all it is, is a bunch of doo-doo. I've waited all week to say that and I did. It felt just like I thought it would. You're welcome, Henry, if you're watching. That's my son, he wanted me to. And I'm just telling you, that system of do, 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 do to receive is so contrary to the system of our God and his Christ. You receive love because he first loved you. Not because you read your Bible enough. Not because you studied enough. Not because you fasted enough. You cannot fast enough to make Abba love you. Golly. You cannot do enough to make him love you more. He right, this is going to offend and hurt some of your feelings. Right now, he loves you as much as he ever will. Ever will. Then you're like, well, why am I coming to church? That is why you feel unsatisfied. It's because you have been doing this for so long, doing this stuff, coming to church, reading my Bible, fasting the thing, going to the prayer room, going to house church, all the stuff, watching the thing, giving in the offering, trying to receive Abba's love, and you're like, the rivers run dry. There's no love. He's forgotten about me. I would submit you are doing all the wrong things. You're living with your, sh your feet calloused. You're walking like a dead man. And that right there is prohibiting you to receiving Abba's love for you. And the moment we say, I'm going to stop doing the stuff so that I can receive, and I'm just gonna be, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he loves me and affirms me and accepts me. I promise you, like golden rain coming down from heaven, you will feel Abba's love and affection for you. I want to read a story. We're, we're getting close. Luke 15, this is the tale of the prodigal son. You know it. If you haven't heard it, like this prodigal son, there's a dad, he has a son. Son's like, I don't want anything to do with you. He says, give me my inheritance now. I want to go and go party it up, live at La Vida Loca, whatever. So he goes, him and Ricky Martin are out there and they're playing it up, whatever. Ricky Martin's somebody, right? Okay, that's not, that's not the one from I Love Lucy, is it? Okay, good, <laughs> sorry. I was raised in a country town. I know, I know Leave it to Beaver. I know... I know um, Mayberry, I, I, I know these things, Sanford and Son, those are the good ones, amen. So he goes out and lives at La Vida Loca. <laughs> you know the story. He's eating pig food, Old Roy or whatever it is, and he's like, I gotta go back home. He goes back home and his father embraces him. It's great, the ring, the robe, the shoes, the fatted calf, the, you know, the dancing, whatever. And we pick it up right now that should be on the screen for you in Luke 15. 
Yeah. Now his older son was in the field. Pause real quick. We always hear this as the, the tale or the story, the parable, whatever, of the prodigal son. That's how it's labeled probably in your Bible. Um, but Jesus does not label it that way. I, I didn't get my, my degree in, in ministry stuff. I wish I would have kind of, but I got it in English. And so writing, English and creative writing. So I write stories and whatever. I'm doing a lot with it apparently. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things you go to college and they're like, you don't want to make money, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. I want to live with my parents. And I did. Um, <sighs> amen. Jesus, though, frames the story. And one of the things they teach you is in the first intro of a story, frames it of how the author is intent. Like, what, what is he thinking about the story? The structure, the framing. The first sentence is this, a man had two sons. Immediately, this is not just about the prodigal son. This is about three people, a younger son, an older son, and their father, and how both sons are living as orphans in a father's house and how a, a, a radically love-motivated father is going to pursue both sons. This story really has to do with the Gentiles and Israel coming back to the father, but it can apply to us as well. And so picking up in Luke 15, he says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came in and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him and is safe and sound. Fathers establish culture in our houses. As a father, it is my job, my duty to be priest, protector, and provider for my home. And my presence establishes culture. And so we see by the servant, now this servant is not a slave, but is what would be called a bond servant. A bond servant is much different than a slave. A slave is somebody who is, well, a slave. A bond servant is somebody who would have chosen to live with the master because he says, it is best for me to live in your house. And they would do a thing where they took their ear, nailed it to a door. It was a sign of like, I am making covenant to live with you. That's why Paul later on says, we are, I'm a bond servant of Christ. I serve him, but it is in a covenant relationship of love. And this bond servant is living under the father's culture. And you can even see he is not troubled. Like some of you know this story, you know where it's going. The slave, the servant, sorry, is not troubled by the younger son's return. Listen to his voice. Because he has received him back safe and sound. The servant is rejoicing. The servant's like, bro, let's go to the party. But the older brother is not having it. You can go to the next verse. But when he was angry, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him or begged him. But he answered in his father, he says, look, many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed any of your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat. 
I never felt your love. I never felt your doting. I never felt your affection. I never, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. My feet are sore. I've been in your fields all these years. I have followed your letter to the T and yet I've received nothing from you. I have no affirmation from you, nothing dad. And yet you're my bum brother goes and does all this crap, comes back and you love him? This story is revealing in that older son's heart. He believed the way to receive the affirmation of the father was doing the stuff. What happens when you live like this in the field all the time saying, dad, I hope you're happy. You never do it with a pure heart. It's begrudging. How many times we did the, off, the, the, the dollar bill and the offering, we're holding on to it so tight that it almost rips it. It's not cheerful. It's not full of faith. It's begrudging. He says, I've done all this stuff. I've received nothing. He goes, does the exact opposite, receives everything. He thought the doing would impart some sort of favor, affirmation, and all the while he is missing his father's heart. His father says this, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. He's not just talking about in his home, he's talking about in his heart. I carry you with me. Like you think I don't see you, I see you. The Lord is telling somebody that this today. You think you are looked over. You think you're looked past. You think he doesn't see you. He's saying, I carry you in my heart. Curtis and I were talking about this, that like one day we will be seated with Christ in heaven. But Paul tells me that I'm actually seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. The Bible tells me that I actually, my spirit man lives within his heart which is weird to think that we think that also Christ lives in us. It's this synergistic, he lives in me and I in him. We are deeply tied together. Like you can't tell me where Christ begins and I begin because they're woven together in a spiritual fabric that is unbreakable. That's why he says, no angels, demons, powers above or in or below the earth can separate you from the love of God. He carries you in his heart. He says, all that I have is yours. All that is mine is I'm gonna give all this to you one day because the older son would inherit this. The older son would have been the thing that the seed and the blessing would have passed through and would have carried on to generations. Like, don't you know that all your brother will serve under you one day? This is all yours. He said, it's glad. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. This is your brother was, that for your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. When we live with an orphan spirit that do, do, do to get father's love, radical acts of generosity by Abba will trigger that orphan spirit. You're like, I don't have no orphan spirit. Maybe you don't. But when people around you receive praise, when they, and I'm talking to you this because I had an, I, I, I am being restored from an orphan spirit. 
When people around you receive affirmation, praise, you've been praying in your prayer closet for some sort of blessing and it gets given to somebody else right in front of you and you are struggling to rejoice with them and yet you look at God and you say, why did, why did you do this for them? They whatever this and whatever and you didn't do it for me. It's the older brother. And he's telling you, he says, listen, all that I have is yours. I want, what is he trying to communicate here? What are we communicating to God? Some of us, and I'll bring you into my life. This is how it's operated with me. God has given me dreams, like visions for my life, things that I want to do. And because of brokenness, he'll give me this dream that was birthed in his heart. He will impart it to me. I was sharing this with our house church the other day. Jeff preached and did incredible. And then I was just, it was amazing. Yes, amen. I got blessed. And I was just opening up some of my heart, what I've been walking through. And it's like, God has given me all these dreams that were birthed in his heart. He gives them to me and it's like, oh yes. Oh man, I, I wanna do that. But when you give something like that to an orphan, they then turn and say, I use this expression, I'm kind of bold. I said, it's like I would put a gun to God and say, now do it right now. And if you don't do it right now, then, 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 then you're mean and you're whatever. And it's like, whoa, I brought you into my heart. And what the, the problem is this, is that I, we, we long for the thing more than we do the person. And we're missing him because we want the thing. We always look at the prodigal son about like, oh, he was materialistic. Both sons were materialistic. They were both thinking about the thing rather than being connected to the father's heart. And, 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 and then God's looking down and like, it, he, God doesn't take well to idle threats. If you haven't noticed this in your own life, um, he doesn't come through when you hold the gun to him. And then now we're like, see, you always abandoned me. You never do for me. It's all you, you do for everybody else, but not for me. And he's like, you completely missed me. I brought you, this is my dream, first and foremost, birthed in my heart. I have so much adoration and affection for you. I showered on you. And yet you turn around and say, you do it now or I'm leaving. Part of it is this, is like, some of us have had the carrot dangled in front of us for so long in the world, whether it's through relationships or whatever, that you, when you see the glimmer of like, hey, I wanna give this to you, you say either give it to me now or I don't believe you. Some of you know that you, when you're, one of your friends or your cousins borrows money, right? He's like, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back tomorrow. So I'll walk with you to the bank. That's probably actually wisdom because he's probably not gonna pay you back. That's why I say when we do, when I give family money, we don't do borrow, I just do a gift. Go, release, because they don't come back. <laughs> but we do the same thing with God. We're like, I don't really believe you're gonna do this, so you either need to do it right now, or I'm gonna be upset. Because the problem is you really don't trust him. The remedy for all this is to be embraced by Abba. Some of us have even been offended by that word. It's a thing now on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it, where it's like, oh, I hate Christians when they pray like Abba or Daddy God or whatever. I'm sorry that it's exposing the orphanness in your heart. I said, I'm sorry it's exposing the orphanness in your heart when I call him dad or father or Abba or daddy, whatever. 
Paul says this, you've not given a spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba means Papa, Daddy. It's the most intimate term. And so I love, even, this, even today, some of the most broken and orphan-hearted people love the moments of holy, 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 because we love seeing Father God as a mean, tyrannical dictator. That's how we can relate to him. But there is something even in Abba that cries holy, holy, holy. He is not a, a, a uh, two-sided, two-faced, like bipolar person. He is a tender, loving God, and part of his tender, loving kindness is holiness. That is holy too. It's not, when we're saying holy, 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 we're not picturing an angry God who's going to punish and like, oh, purify me, God, punish me, punish me. No, it's, he is Abba. How I relate to him now is not like, God, I have to come with my head down. It says we come boldly before the throne of grace and I can step into his house, chin up, eyes on Abba, and I can say, you love me and accept me. There is some brokenness in my heart. Would you hold me? The, the, the brokenness in your heart is only, in, is only fixed and mended in the embrace of the Father. It is only mended in the embrace of the Father. And some of you have been walking around broken for so long, and you think back to that moment when you were first saved and, and you, you felt Abba's embrace and you long for that moment again. I can, I'm telling you, it's possible. Not only possible today, right now, it's possible to live in that place of embrace. Eric Gilmore has a really cheesy saying, but it's really good actually. He says, snuggle, don't struggle. And some of us are struggling. We're like, we're, we're, we're struggling to like, I gotta figure it all out because we think that like we have to figure it out because he won't do it for us. I used to, when I struggled as a young man in sin and I would fall, I, <laughs> I never verbalized it because it's just not something you say out loud. But I was like, I have to give God a couple days for him to cool down. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Young men, you know, you're like, okay, that, oh gosh, I, I mess it. He needs a couple. He is not that way. He is not that way. He embraces the prodigal. The father walked away from that embrace, that kiss, that touch. He walked away dirty. The son was sitting in pig feces and in, in slop and mud. He wants to get some of your dirt on him today. He's not afraid of your mess. He's, he's not saying you gotta clean yourself up and then come to me. Even Isaiah says, woe, I am a man of unclean lips. And God sends what I believe is Jesus coming to him. He pursues him, takes the cold, touches the lips, purifies. He's not afraid of your brokenness. These are some things in your life because some of you have maybe never heard this type of message and you're like, I don't even know if that's me or not. I kind of feel like it is. These are some things you'll see in your life if you're living like a dead man in the Father's house, if you're living like an orphan spirit, like the way the world walked and talked, if you're living that way here, this is how it will manifest. It's the fruit of your tree. Competition. I'm not talking about really at your job, 
talking about with other people, just like this person got a boat. I need a boat. This person posted this on Instagram. I got to post the same thing on Instagram because people won't, I I, got to do the most. Like so-and-so, they had a, they had a party like this and I got to do more than them because people need to know. Orphan spirit. He wants to heal that in you. Insecurity. Thinking that like, that, that the way people view you is who you really are. The way people view, and this is, let me just say this, this is not just for women. Men, you struggle with this as bad as they do, if not worse. You may not look in a mirror because most of us, we love our dad, Bob, we're proud of it. But when you're talking at Thanksgiving or a couple weeks at Christmas, and your brother and your cousin, they're more successful than you and they're talking about all their escapades and their 401ks and all that and you feel insecure, he wants to heal that in you. Jealousy, envious of what other people have. Feeling like you are, and I wanna tie these together, jealousy and feeling looked over of like just feeling bypassed, like God is not seeing you. One of the things too with this is he will, this is one of the things that Tiffany and I, if I'm just being real and vulnerable, that we, how it manifests in, in my life and our life is that he will bless us. It'll be like, whoa, you just blessed my socks off. And that blessing has a real short expiration date. That sucker's like bananas on the counter. It's brown real fast. And then within a couple weeks, we're on to like, okay, you gotta do something else. And you don't see me. And I feel looked over. Why is that person being promoted and I'm not? And like, we're living literally like that, that feeling looked over, jealousy, looking past. And then overall, not feeling satisfied by God. Just not feeling satisfied. Because when you're trying to drink from the river of like doo-doo, when you're just doing that and you're drinking from the river of orphan spirit, it leaves your mouth really dry. And you're not able to receive agape, Abba, love. You are literally shut off. It says this for the older brother. It says he would not go in. He could not go in. That thing in your heart, that brokenness, that stronghold, that orphan spirit will literally prohibit you from entering into his good and faithful delight. The Bible says you are Hespala. He delights over you. But when you sit on the outside and look in and anger and all the stuff, it prohibits you from entering into the Lord's rest. Just like the Israelites on the edge of Canaan, just like the brother on the edge of the party. And so many of you, I feel this in my heart. You've been living like that way for years, months, just feeling like, unsatisfied. Your spiritual mouth is dry and you long for a thirst of his goodness. You're like, I just want to feel the way I felt back when he touched me. Come back to the spirit of adoption. Allow him to open those places in your heart, those wounds. One of the things about a stronghold, and we're going to end here. One of the things about a stronghold is that in order to, or sorry, and how it's built happens a lot like this. In strongholds in our life, the enemy is ruthless. The accuser of the brethren is 
evil to the core. And he will not just wait until you're of the age of consent to attack you. He will attack you at a young, vulnerable age. Amen. He will come to you when you're like when you're in the yard, five, six, seven years old, throwing the ball with your dad. And he will whisper a lie in your ear when you don't catch the ball and you feel you don't feel the father's delight. He'll say, see, he only loves you when you do right. He only loves you when you're doing the right stuff. And then what happens is days and months and years and weeks and all this stuff goes by. And every time something happens that reaffirms that lie, it's like one brick gets added to the fortress. And by the time most of us are in our 30s or 40s or 50s, we have a castle, a demonic castle that we are just like, I've just always been this way. I'm going to tell you no. It started with a lie the enemy spoke to you at a young age. And what Paul is getting at is he's saying the weapons of our warfare, these spiritual weapons are meant to tear those things down in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If uh, the band, you guys can come up. I want to give like just three really simple things for... um, for addressing these things. Like, how, okay, how do I deal with it? You got me. How do I deal with this? Number one is what we're about to do is this prayer. Prayer breaks the yoke. Prayer breaks strongholds. When we call upon the name of the Lord, he who calls upon my name shall be saved. So calling upon the name of the Lord breaks the power of strongholds in our life. Asking him, Lord, reveal the lies that I'm believing. Prayer breaks that yoke. I'm not a prayer room pastor, so I'm not going to do the whole teaching. You can see Pastor Marcus. I'm sure you can. he'll sell you something, a teaching or a DVD series. Bless him, Lord. Um, prayer, breaking the stronghold, coming into agreement with other people in prayer is really important. Confessing your sins to one another so that healing may come, James 5. Getting that stuff out, like I am jealous of this person Help me pray. Like you need, some of that stuff's just been living in the dark for so long. It has such a grip on your throat. Get it out in the light. Jesus addressing those lies. Some of us, uh, if you don't journal right now, you don't like take time each day to just process with the Lord, whether it's journaling or just praying or whatever, you need to. The Lord's gonna begin to take some of you on a journey in this spirit where he's gonna begin to show you places, maybe even in your past where those lies took root. And what's gonna happen is gonna take you to that place and he's going to address that lie and then speak truth to it. He did this with Peter. Peter denies him three times, sitting around a fire in the middle of the night. Peter says, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Shame fills Peter. He runs away. Fast forward, Jesus comes back and he meets Peter on the shore in the middle of the morning where it's still dark out. And what does he do? He resets the scene. There's a fire. There's people around the fire. And Jesus asks him how many times? Three times. Do you love me? And at the end of the last affirmation, Jesus commissions him into his life mission. What is he doing? He's addressing the lie that you have forfeited who you are. Because earlier, Jesus would say, on this rock, I will build my church. And he's talking about and to Peter. And he's addressing the lies. He's addressing that moment, resetting the scene even, saying, listen, I don't see you as that broken person. 
And the last one, if I'm being honest, is the one that nobody likes, including myself. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and sometimes, some of us, we just wanna have it all wiped away in a moment, wiped away in a moment. But when Paul says, be not conformed to this world, be transformed, the word is a continual thing. It's it be, tra be becoming transformed. It's a continual renewing of the mind. And if I'm being honest, for some of us, the bridge that is stopping us from entering into breakthrough is staring yourself in the mirror when those lies are coming at you and saying, you are a child of God. The scriptures say, he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. And so if I'm being honest, in that moment of hurt and like brokenness, when it really stings, that is the last thing you wanna do. My wife and I joke about this all the time. It's like, it really helps, but there's just something about that moment when you're like, you're being afflicted, you're feeling jealous, you're feeling angry, you're feeling looked over. Like the last thing you wanna do is actually talk to him, is talk to yourself like, uh, just saying the promises over your life, but something happens when we actually let the washing of the word wash over our life and our mind, it renews us. Because faith only comes by the word of God washing over us. Would you stand? I just, I felt this really early in my message and I just, I need to say it again. I know cause like we have walked through this and are walking through this type of like healing and restoration. I understand the level of hopelessness. I get it. You're like he can't get it. He's a pastor. You have no idea. You have no idea the level of like competition, the level of like comparison that people in my position or whatever have to, like I am not exempt from anything. I understand the level of hopelessness, like it's always gonna be this way. I'm never gonna get free from this. And I just, something inside of me is like the Lord is trying to tell you there is hope for you today. Like, please, there's hope for you today. And that accusing, lying spirit, because he can tell freedom is really close for some of you. Freedom is like right here. He's telling you, this isn't real. It, it ain't gonna work. Don't even worry about it. It's not gonna work. He's a liar. Let me pray for you and, I, and then we'll proceed. In the name of Jesus, I pray that every lying spirit breaks right now in the name of Jesus. Every lying spirit. I even see spirits that are covering your ears, covering your eyes, spirits that are whispering to you, say, no, 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 that doesn't apply to you, whatever. He's trying to get you to stay in torment. And I break your effects right now. You are powerless in the name of Jesus. And God, your people will walk in victory. They will walk in freedom. They will walk in the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, Father, in the name of Jesus. Yeah, let's just, I feel it a call that, to repeat that. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Come on, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. 
in the name of Jesus. Freedom right now. Yeah, just begin to release your prayer language right now. Begin to break the yoke over your own life. In the name of Jesus, release your prayer language. Father, you said the kingdom suffers violent and the violent take it by force. And so right now, we take and we say the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church and the chains that have been binding your people are there for, they've been there long enough and they are broken right now. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. Every mind, every mind. I pray for even demonic possession, oppression, all the essence to be go, to be gone right now. In the name of Jesus, every lying spirit that has taken root in your life, in your home, broken right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, it will not be this way. It will not be this way. It is not your portion. You are Hezbollah. He delights in you. He delights in you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. It will not stay this way. Put your hand over your head. If you just feel like this applies to you, if you just feel like you've been living in this system of unsatisfaction, of just being looked over, whatever, who cares who's looking? Put your hand, you see me, your pastor's got his hand on his head right now. I pray in the name of Jesus, every bit of bondage, every bit of stronghold breaks right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Break right now in the name of Jesus. I will taste and see the Lord is good and I will do it in the land of the living. You are not meant to live in the land of Sheol, in the land of death. You've been living in the desert, but I'm calling you to live in Canaan today. The land of milk and honey, grapes the size of your head. In the land where his abundance flows of rain, of, of, of peace, of love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you are feeling like you want to, or you feel like the Lord is calling you to have freedom from areas like this in your mind or, or in your heart, and it's just been like trying and trying, and you want freedom, please, I want you to come to the front, and we're gonna partner with you in prayer, and I'm, I truly believe you are gonna step into the new year different. You are gonna step into the new year different. You are no longer gonna live in bondage. You're no longer gonna live a slave to Egypt. You are gonna live different. Even some of you, the enemy has been telling you that because of the acts you've done, you have forfeited the call of God on your life. If that's you, come forward right now. He's going to break, break, break demonic oppression and oppression on your life in Jesus' name. So come forward. And if I could have my prayer team and any any of my abide shepherds in the house, if you guys would come and pray if you're not if you're not receiving prayer. Yeah, only the prayer team and the abide shepherds.
in the name of Jesus. 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 Identity. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, it won't be the same. He loves you. He loves you. You are not forfeit from his promises. I don't care what family members or people have said over your life and in in, in said over your, for, for your whole entire life. It's broken right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Generational curses broken right now. In Jesus' name. 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 Break right now. Break right now. The fear of rejection be broken right now in Jesus' name. You are loved and you are seen. You are loved and you are seen. Break right now in Jesus' name.
I just want to address the lie that says, I know God loves me, but I don't believe he likes me. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, would you embrace your children? And would you tear down the lie that says, I know you love me, but I don't, I don't believe you like me. And would you allow your children right now, in the name of Jesus, to feel your embrace and to feel your delight to feel your delight God the same way that I look at my babies with just sheer joy and utter delight God would you allow your children right now to see you looking down upon them in that same way God in the name of Jesus every bit of self hatred and insecurity and feeling like you withhold because you don't like us that that would be melted away by your embrace God in the name of Jesus every lie every lie every lie that we have come into agreement with and empowered God we just ask that your love would melt it away in Jesus name Yeah, I even see people in the room right now that like you're, <laughs> woo, that you're about to lock eyes with him. Oh, you're about to lock eyes with him and you're gonna see his eyes burning with love for you. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you that your eyes burn with love for us. God, we thank you that your eyes are burning with love for us, God. And that you don't just love us, God. You like us, God. You delight in us. That you enjoy your children. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.
want to take a couple of moments and pray. I was reminded as we're here praying of Jesus and how before he went into the wilderness, how he got baptized by John, the spirit descended on him. And before Jesus did any miracle, before Jesus did any work, the father spoke over him. He said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. I just want to pray that and release that all over the room, that before you do anything, you are his son, you are his daughter in whom he's well pleased. So I just want, if that, is that, if, if that resonates in your spirit, I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, I thank you that I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and you are pleased in me. Before I do anything, you are pleased in me. Before I set my hand to do any work, you love me. I am approved by you, not because of what I do, but because of who I am. Abba Father, I receive your love, I accept your love, and I thank you for loving me where I am and for who I am. And I just want to release just in Jesus' name, I just really felt that as Pastor Tyler was talking about the two sons and how he said to the one son, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. So I just want to pray that over us in the room. If you're in that space where it's like the competition, the jealousy, and the Lord esteeming one and doing something like, Lord, what about me? I just hear the Lord saying that. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just release all over the room. To your sons and daughters, all that you have is theirs. What you do for one, you will do for another. How you feel towards one of your children, you feel towards all of us. So I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you show no partiality, you show no favoritism, and that there is an open door for every son and every daughter to step completely into your embrace, completely into your favor, completely into your love. In Jesus' name, we release it all over the room. All that he has is yours. Just say that out loud until you believe it. Father, I thank you. I thank you that all I have, all you have is mine. Come on, this is how you begin to break these things. Say, Father, I thank you. Just pray the word over yourself. Father, I thank you that all that you have is mine. It's, listen, it's not selfish to claim the things the Father wants for you. It's not selfish. It's obedience. So, Father, we just ask that you would just release a confidence in who our Father is all over the room. That you're not a father with limited resources. You have abundantly more for each and every one of us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And I ask, Lord, that you will help us all to step, to step into sonship and a daughtership. That we will step into the fullness of who you are to us and what you have for us in Jesus' name.
if you're still praying, you feel free to take as much time as you need. We'll keep the doors open as long as you're on the ground. Um, I want to share something as we dismiss, and if you can go get your kids. Th these things have been here for a long time in our hearts. Long time. Most of the time, it's not going to get fixed, even if we have an amazing cry session at the altar and you get a prophetic word from me or Marcus. It can, it can help and put you on the path. But I'm telling you, there is something God wants for you to walk this out with Him. On a Tuesday afternoon, when you feel like garbage, to look yourself in the mirror and declare the works of the Lord over your life. He has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. And the breakthrough that you're looking for is looking in the mirror. It is like releasing life and identity over yourself. And every time and you walk and you do it until it breaks and you walk out of the bathroom, you feel great. And five minutes later, it happens again. You go right back in and you say, no, we're not doing this. And every single time it comes and it comes and get yourself a prayer partner and text them, have them pray. And every time you address that lie, I promise in five years, it'll look a lot different. It will look and you will be living in the promised land. Not because of some sort of weird self-proclaiming, because his word washes over our minds and it literally filters out the junk. I love you guys. Let me pray for you as you go. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, like a seal on our arm, you would burn and etch what you did today as a seal on our heart. You would seal it by the Holy Spirit, give it your stamp of approval, and like God, that we would walk different. I pray the strongholds that those have been walking in today, they came in, they would not walk in the same strongholds when they walk out that you would give them the strength, courage, and wisdom to walk out a renewed mind lifestyle in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We love you guys. You can stay as long as you need. Be blessed. Be in prayer room this week. We'll see you next week.